0: Today, we're talking to Sumandeep from Odessa about the latest data trends and her journey from a humble town in India to becoming a prominent technology leader. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. One of the things that stood out to me when I was researching you and your experience is that you were the first person in your hometown to get a degree in IT. I was hoping you could tell me about that.
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, definitely. I think that there's a little bit of a backstory behind it. So I'm I'm from a small town, but everybody there is really focused on education and making sure their kids go to college and they are are able to go out in the world and make a name for themselves. But the two key professions at the time when I was growing up were you can be a doctor or you can be an engineer, right? So there was a joke that if you throw a stone, it's going to really hit a house where there is either a doctor. Or an engineer, so I was all set to um, pursue medicine and and be a doctor like everybody else. And but then one day I got introduced with somebody who who told me about computers and the vast possibilities of what the future can hold, and that really changed my direction. So I was just coming out of uh, high school, going into college, and did my undergrad there, and then uh, my master's in computer applications. And these are in the nineties. Late eighties, where the computers were not mainstream. Definitely not in India, in the area that I was I was living. So it was a big deal, right? It wasn't just uh, that me as a as a girl uh, going and getting that degree, but just the first person to be doing that.
0: That is so cool. So, were you in a rural area or a city area?
1: It is, but it is a city. But again, it's a it's a small town um, in the state of Rajasthan, uh, named Shriganga Nagar. And uh, now it has grown like uh, triple the population compared to when I was there uh, growing up in those times. Yeah. So not really rural, rural, but, but definitely a city, but not metropolitan city.
0: I get what you're describing because I grew up in an area that was in the middle as well. It wasn't a big city, but it also was bigger than a small town. So, yeah. I'm curious, how did you go from that city In India to the United States, how did you get over to the US?
1: So my journey really started after I finished my college, uh, I went into um, doing my own thing, which again was something which was different, which normally everybody was going and taking up a job. And uh, I actually started my own company, not a big company, but doing freelancing in terms of building software, building products. And... Three years, I did that. I was doing that uh, for, a, there was a, a company dealing with uh, car rentals. So very new, computers were new. So they bought a computer, but didn't have enough software to really run their business. So the only thing they were using it for was Microsoft Office and, and the tools there. So I started there. And three years later, I saw that really I'm not learning anything new because I was only applying whatever I, I knew at the time. Uh, So then I took up a job and then got married. And my husband actually transferred over here uh, on his job. And then I came over and actually the same company hired me. And uh, that's how I ended up here. And which was like 26 years ago.
0: Did you know your husband before you came to the States?
1: Yes. It was after one year of our marriage that we we
0: came over. Oh, very cool. And so why... Like, what is it about you that caused you to go achieve this? Getting your degree, doing something great, and going to the U.S. Obviously, not everyone in the town does that. Why are you different?
1: So, I think I I would um, give the credit to my parents, where uh, they always encouraged us to follow our dreams, and uh, really nothing was off limits. So, I have an older sister and a younger brother, and all of us were given the same opportunities, and they were always pushing us. To go beyond the norm, do something that nobody's done in the town, right? So, so explore opportunities which others have not, and which is what really is now ingrained in me to really always challenge the, the status quo, even challenging gender biases. So, that's where it started. Where uh, when I was young, I, I used to play all the games that boys would play normally, right? <laughs> and I was really good at it. So, I was again the first girl. Who was riding a motorbike at that time in our hometown? So, which I know that a lot of girls at that time would look up to me, and they would be like, "Okay, I want to be like that." You know. So, I think that's what really started with uh, nothing was off limits, and uh, you could do whatever you wanted. So, which which that mindset really opened up the opportunity to to see what else is out there, what else you can do. So, that's that's I think. Uh, so I'm truly grateful for my upbringing um, because that's the that is what set the foundation for who I am today.
0: And what did your siblings end up doing?
1: So my uh, my brother he works for McKinsey, he's a partner. Okay. And my sister she runs her own business. So she has a bakery business uh, back in our hometown, which again it started as a small business and now growing into into. The surrounding areas where they are they are actually distributing to other businesses, so which was pretty cool
0: so clearly, your parenting style is is a good one. Have you or your siblings applied that parenting style with your kids?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think one of the learnings um uh, that I carry from what what my parents taught me is again passing on the values, never forgetting the roots where we come from, so uh if you notice I am a uh, I'm a Sikh by faith, so I I keep that very dearly in my heart to make sure I'm passing on those values to my my kids and and then again every child is different, so letting them understand what their strengths are and what they really like, enjoy what career they want to pursue. So passing those on uh, and 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 having that same style with my with my son has been really helpful. I can see I can see how that encourages and given giving them uh, an environment to to flourish and grow based on their terms
0: and did you find it is there a big community of your religion in the states or is it small how does that work
1: Oh no, it is there is uh, there's a big community here uh, and of course depending on the state that you're in across the across the u.s you might find a small or large community but uh, we have a uh, Communities, sick communities which are surrounding the our uh, gurdwaras, which is the house of worship. So we actually um, are associated with the with the gurdwara here, which is close to my house, not ten minutes away. And then, as part of that, as a every Sunday, we make sure that we are focusing on kids' education, giving them an environment to learn and grow while they connect with their roots, but they also are finding role models to follow to know that, you know, it's not one or the other. You can follow your faith and you can still have the same opportunities out in the world and be able to to have any career that you you desire. And uh so yeah, so and Academy, if you if you've seen all my profile, so I volunteered there and that was the organization that I was part of uh, when we founded it uh and still continue to be associated with
0: well, I love that you're promoting faith to your kids. It seems that every day there's that that pool tends to get smaller and less popular in culture. Um, so it's definitely like an uphill battle to feel free to share your faith and and discuss it openly. So I love that you're promoting that uh, within your kids. And does that come up at work at all?
1: I would say I, I would say I've been fortunate that i've always um, worked in companies and worked around people who really value diversity and what everybody brings to the table in uh, in learning about them accepting them that i haven't personally faced any challenges there so i would say um has not been a challenge for me but definitely i've seen um that others share their stories where it has been challenging so i'd really really uh, support accepting and embracing equity and, uh, and, and having equal opportunity for everybody, regardless of what their beliefs are, whatever their faiths are, where they, they come from. Um, so I think that I feel very strongly about and keep it at the center of my interactions with everybody who works with me and within the organization or even as we work with customers and partners.
0: Yeah, I did a series on faith in the workplace about a year ago, I believe. And because I wasn't sure how faith expressed itself in the workplace. And so I had on different people, different tech leaders, some were pastors, some were just practitioners, things like that. And I asked the same question over and over like, how does faith express itself in the workplace? And what I got back after all of my interviewing was, it essentially drives who they are as a person. And so when they're enacting the values that they believe, then they're impacting everybody. It's not necessarily, as some would imagine, you standing up and preaching at work, right? It's more of like you just living out the values that you believe in others, being interested in like, why is this person so happy?
1: with <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would say 100%. I truly believe you are the sum of your experiences, but more importantly, the values that you learned in your childhood and in your upbringing, and faith plays a, a really key role in it. In the because your whatever your parents are doing, you're learning from that, and your surrounding community, uh, what they're doing and and what they believe in, and I think that that value system stays with you even if it's not like prominently you call it out, but how you value every person and you see the good in every person. And you value their their um their opinions, and more and more we see that uh, even it applies to our work. Um, every day we are building products and solutions for uh, our end users, right? And our end users really represent our communities, which is a sum of all of these this diversity that is there. So if we don't understand all the different viewpoints. We are not going to be designing solutions which are centered on our customers and the users and really solving for the full solution and, and giving them the best experience that we can.
0: So definitely, Absolutely. I think
1: it plays plays a key part in, in, in your day-to-day.
0: That brings up creativity. I was talking about this earlier, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I was having a conversation with Adam Finchman. He, he owns like a digital agency. So he works with designers, he works with engineers, all, all stuff you and I are familiar with. But he told me that he noticed a trend where technologists would say that they're not creative, but they're very creative people. But they would say, oh, no, I'm not creative. But then they would go do creative things. Have you seen that happening in the engineering field?
1: Yes, I think um where I see it is the merge of an engineer which is in the back room taking the requirements from somebody who's facing off with the business or the customer to say okay what is the requirement and how I need to translate it back to the engineers to go build things where now it is all about your 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 thought process in how you design solutions is is changing right where where you are all of the design thinking principles, all of the customer-first mindset, where you're really sitting down with the customers, understanding the business problems, and in that you have all of the, the, the teams involved, right? So the, the visibility that the engineers have to the actual business problem is making it the creative solution. So I don't think inherently they think we are creative because they're looking at and saying people who do the cool UX design of the applications and they're really the creative ones, but ultimately it is powered by the engineering and the tech behind it. So more they understand what problems they're trying to solve and they incorporate that in their solutions from day one, I think that's where the the creativity in the engineers is is showing up.
0: And what type of problems is Odessa solving? I don't know a whole lot. I was hoping you could tell me about it.
1: Yes, yes. No, absolutely. So we are primarily in the asset financing industry. So we cater to all of our customers, of course, uh, small businesses to all the way to global companies who are, um, who are around the world. So the complexity of the problem is very varied. But the way we see ourselves is a platform that helps that spectrum of customers to be able to run their business. So we want to be like, see it as the platform, which is the operating system for running their business. And in doing so, um, we are always continuously on the watch for how those those organizations or our customers are transforming. What's changing in their landscape in terms of what type of experiences, what type of uh, business solutions that they're offering to their their customers and how they are working within the ecosystem of their partners as they build these solutions and taking that into into account as we are building out our roadmap. So how are we going to enable our customers to be able to unlock that additional value because we are enabling those capabilities to really drive that best customer experience that they are looking to offer to their own customers?
0: And so it makes a lot of sense for you because you're in it every day. But when you say asset financing, is that... Like I need to buy a million dollar machine for my business, or is that like for I have a product in my end consumers, like in a firm or something? They're financing the purchase of something that I'm selling. Could you tell me like more detailed what the asset financing is?
1: Right. So when, when we talk about asset financing, so if, in a uh, in a traditional sense, if you if you think about, you go into a hospital and you see one of those. Uh, the CAT scan machines, or now when you go in, you have those cool uh, tech on wheels. The the little little trolley comes in with all of the diagnostic equipment, and they they take your vitals. So those machines are all leased, right? Nobody really owns them. So these are all on leased, and then so from a leasing industry. So I know leasing has been is is looked at from a traditional standpoint, but this is the this is the space which is changing very very drastically and very rapidly in terms of. Nobody wants to own or lease anymore. And we're shifting to more around subscription economy and how I can have flexibility in how I pay for things. I want to just use it as I go. So that is the, the industry where the Odessa plays in, right? Providing the capabilities to, to the the lessors to be able to lease the equipment. And again, we're, we're talking about variety of industries, right? We could be talking about IT equipment, it could be in healthcare. It could be in uh, agriculture. So you see a big agriculture machine that, again, is not owned by anybody, so it's leased. So behind it, the companies that that are really running those businesses is where we, we come in.
0: And how do you use data? Because you're doing a, a banking-type product, you know, leasing, but how are you using all the data to help figure out that this is the trend people are headed in? Yes,
1: yeah, so... Um, so if you think about data, I see that as really data is the energy that is driving the engine, right? That's what your business is running on. So even though our, our customers are businesses, and then their customers are also businesses, but a lot of things are are now taught with the lens of consumer tech. So very quickly, the, the gap and the expectations of com- consumer tech and, and business tech is is reducing, right? Because at the end of the day, we are we are really, on a day-to-day basis, dealing with individual uh, individuals who we are selling the products to or who are using our, our products. So when we think about data, right? So there are, of course, there are there's consumer tech when you think about meta uh, and how they are monetizing the data that they collect on a daily basis. That's really what their business model is. But still, every organization is capturing a lot of data and a lot of times don't know what insights are sitting in that data, right? So in order for them to make better business decisions, in order for them to know more about their customers as a 360 view of the customer, what's going on throughout the, the journey of the customers that they have within their engagement. Plus, now that there's so much data available, even in the public domain, to, to which you can Um, consume and, and mash up with your data to drive even further insights to understand your customers better to see how you can improve the customer experience or you can come up with new offerings for your customers, right? So if you think customer first and you then work backwards from there, you need the data to be able to really change the game there, making sure you're giving them the best experience, you're coming up with innovative offerings, which are helping those customers unlock additional value or be able to position them to service their own customers better. Right. So that's where what so Edessa, what we're looking at is what is the data that our customers are collecting today within our environment and how we can, as part of our platform offerings, give them some insights which are readily available. Because not every customer has um has access to to Data analytics teams who can actually build those for them, so giving them a, a, a head start uh, to be able to then build on our platform, extend the platform that we have is is how we we look at uh, the capabilities we are building around data uh, at Odessa.
0: Let's try to give a real world example. So I live out on a farm, like a little five acre farm, and let's say that I had a business and maybe a couple tractors or a couple different things. Tools that I would need, fairly expensive ones. Let's say that I'm a small business farm, and I am—I would lease the tractor through Odessa. Is that correct?
1: No. So, so you would you would actually be going to a leasing company or companies okay. who are in the financing business for agricultural uh, equipment. But for that company to be able to manage those assets, those that those those equipment that they have purchased or they have leased. And manage the life cycle of that, and be able to help their end customers with the whether it is the invoicing, giving them notification, understand if there is maybe there is servicing involved with that equipment, uh, ensuring that it's running. And so it's very similar to how you think about car leasing, right? But it's mm-hmm. it is different, right? In every industry, there are other nuances depending on the type of equipment you're leasing. So Odessa really provides the software for those leasing companies who are catering to that scenario that you just mentioned.
0: That makes a whole lot more sense. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I I have a good idea. Yeah, you build lender software, right? But that's a very simplified version of it. Yeah, that is cool. So everything from payments, processing, probably credit score stuff to, like you said, equipment, lifecycle, value, all of that. That is pretty cool. So you really are, that's a good business to be in because the lender or your customer is highly dependent on your product.
1: That is correct. And, and and but what I would also say is that, again, depending on our customer base, in some customers, we are a small part of their business. And in other customers, we see that the we are the big rock in their landscape. So majority of their business is running on our platform. So we always have to ensure that there is capability to extend our platform to integrate better within the customer ecosystem, right? So ensuring the, whether it is around data exchange, whether it is around connecting with their external processes that are not running on our platform, and also having the ability to connect directly with their customers and partners. So that is that is where the real thinking of how do we cater to that variety of those customers while giving them the base key capabilities that every leasing company really needs.
0: And now that I have a better understanding of the product, let's continue with the agriculture example. What type of insights are you providing to the lender across, you know, their customers? Would you say this is a more pop more popular machine, or you what type of metrics are you looking at that are useful to the lender?
1: Yeah. So I think the and, and this is where depending on the industry, and the type of equipment, I think the the needs are very different, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you look at the agricultural equipment, there's 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 big machines with high value, but not they're not a lot of them, right? And and if you contrast that with IT equipment, you have a lot of assets, a lot of different machines that are being deployed in the in the customer landscape, but the value per machine might be lower, right? So the in terms of what is the life of the equipment in terms of how long it's going to be on a lease? And especially some of the big ones can be on a really long lease cycles. So there is activity around the data and the interaction with the customer is a little bit lower compared to the ones which are getting refreshed every every three years, right? So that's one one difference in terms of the type of data that they would be needing if you have a lease which is just set and really nothing is changing, then there's not a lot of interaction during the life of the lease. It's only at the end of it, you decide whether you want to send it back, you want to renew it with a better machine and how you want to do your business going forward, right? So those are the conversations and giving them the the tools to know who's coming on uh, in terms of the end of term what we think the customer behavior is going to be and how you want to enable that that customer transaction. But on the IT sector, it's a whole Different ballgame, right? Because there is so much data out there that you want to not only know what's happening at any point in time of the whole asset portfolio, but you also want to derive insights in terms of what type of products and what type of assets really are best suited for leasing in terms of the long terms, or they are more short-term deals, and then the equipment is coming back, and how you're going to monetize that. If it comes back early. So those insights um, is where we would be focusing
0: on. That is pretty, pretty unique. How are you using any cool tools to structure this data in these learnings? Have you gotten into AI or machine learning or GPT, anything like that to help you come up with these insights?
1: Yeah. So so when we look at our our industry, majority I would say of our data is structured. Right, so we are dealing with structured data, which comes to us through our system, through integrations. In terms of unstructured data, it is it is it is around. We would get emails and documents, right? So uh, as the as the deal is being being negotiated and processed, or to, during the life of the life of the deal. So because majority of our data is structured, we are working with within our platform to transform that data, restructure it, because we know that. Data that is collected is really geared towards transaction processing, right? So we are we are running the business, we are making sure the processes are, are are run on that data. But when it comes to consumption of that data to really drive insights, you need to optimize it for reporting and analytics. So that's the the restructuring that we are doing as part of our platform. But there are some use cases where we are starting to dip into the um, machine learning to really understand the data and and build some predictive modeling around knowing what the customer behaviors are going to be. So whether we think about credit scoring or delinquency or what we think they're going to do at the end of the term, right? What What is the next action they're going to take and just be able to predict that and better manage our business.
0: That is actually really cool. And are you using GPT at all? Have you played with this technology
1: I've played with it uh, on a personal basis and I, I see it is, it's exciting and scary at the same time, right? And then you see the next version coming out and it's not just text and you can, the audio, the video, and it's able to just how quickly it's learning. So now I think it is for everybody to look at and saying there is definitely use cases that you can think of and apply in your day to day and see how they Systematically get integrated into your into your business solutions, right? So right now it's it's an early stage of everybody trying out and seeing the value in it, but there's still the last mile that you you wanna have that the the human touch, right? So you wanna yes. let let GPT do its do its thing, give you the first draft of it, and then you wanna look at it and see what, how you wanna consume it. So I think there'll be a lot of POCs and trials that'll that'll happen um, before we see exactly where where it's gonna land in terms of the use cases.
0: I found it somewhat fascinating how certain people are Entirely dismissive of the concept simply because it's not perfect. They'll say, Oh, yeah, that's not ready. And I'll, I'll say, you know, have you, have you tried it? (laughs) (laughs) Most people are like, No, I haven't tried it. I just saw this, you know, meme. And, uh, and so for me, the way it played out is, you know, I saw it. I kind of, you know, I was like, whatever. And then I saw somebody give a tutorial of using it as an assistant to write code and help them debug some of their errors. And once I saw that YouTube video, I was like, oh, wow, I really got to go check she, this check, out. Yeah. <laughs> so I did, and we ended up using it at the company, at our at our business, to help write uh, prep different questions, interesting questions based off of topics, because we not only do this show, but we do like 15, 20 other shows. So we manage shows for other businesses. So we do a lot of this prep, and what we found out is that we can train it. We can show it a bunch of good preps and then we can then give it more information, put your bio and put topics that we're interested in talking to you. And then it can output a prep. And that to me as an engineer is fascinating because yeah. I just fed it unstructured data, text, and then it learned what I wanted and gave me something back that is not perfect. Yeah. But we were talking about creativity. There's a certain amount of creativity hours that we all have in a day. Right. And so now that you have this technology that can help you generate creativity, well, you just made your time more efficient. And so it's not like we got rid of people or anything yeah, like that, yeah. but we made our producers far more efficient. Now they can allocate that time to making even better prep with this new tool, or they can allocate that time to doing other things that push the push the business forward.
1: Absolutely. I think um, What anybody who hasn't tried it, uh, one thing I would say is in our household, the first person who went and tried it is my father-in-law. <laughs> and I was amazed like he's the one who was like have you tried it? And uh, get he was looking at it as a better tool from a instead of just doing a pure search engine search on something and getting all these different links and then having to go find where really the answer is that I'm looking for. So he used it for whatever his questions were, but he was very very excited about it. So I think definitely everybody should try it. And and you're right, it's not going to be perfect in the beginning. And as you use more and you you see and learn about the different scenarios as everybody's trying out and what where it's really helping, I think it it starts to stem other ideas. So we just need to continue continue testing it.
0: I saw over the weekend Zillow, the property search app. they implemented a variation of it. so now you know we were looking at different property recently, and so we you know, there's a hundred filters with real estate property, right? And you have to go configure them all search and, and so on. But now they have a, a text box up top where you can just say, I want five acres within an hour of Nashville that is ready to build. And it'll do it. It does a really good job of getting you there. Uh, and for at least a first version, right? I was blown away. Obviously there's always improvements you can make, but I tried a whole lot of different prompts for the text input. And man, it it got all of the ones I tried.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. And and again, anything that is data that's available in the public domain, right? It's going to perfect it reading that. And then once it comes into, you're able to open up the data that you have within the enterprise and be able to mash up both sides. It, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible.
0: I have noticed that trend Like to what you said, where I've seen the consumer experience—that's the the first area—and then usually the business experiences are lagging to that. So so Apple will do something cool, all the consumers experience it, and we instantly say, "Why isn't the software at work like that?" Right? That that is so true. Yes,
1: that is so true. That's what I was saying. It's not just the gap is reducing; it's just the expectation is changing so drastically. And and which is why, right? The even the. We as product managers, as we are thinking about products, we have to take that user input and they're, they're, we have to think about the user first, right, in terms of what their their experiences in their day-to-day life and how they're expecting the same in the business world and then building solutions according to that. Of course, in the business, there are other, other things that we have to comply by, their compliance regulatory like rules, there is uh, data privacy. There's so many other things that we have to truly think about. But but I think it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good good accelerator for us to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I've, I've crazy ideas about what I think is going to happen, but I do see this technology improving to the point where essentially the, the services we know of today, they have a data store and an interface, right? And we interact with the product like that. I think there's going to be a new layer on top, which will be this assistive AI that we'll engage with on a verbal type of basis, right? Like a prompt text, ask questions, get results basis that'll sit on top of that. And then I think some of the old school people will still use the visual AI of the, the software. Think about Facebook's interface, right? Man. Or a business software's interface. But then I think in the long term, it'll end up being those services that we know today acting more like structured data stores than anything else.
1: That is, that is correct. So one shift that I see um, that would happen on the data side is so today we are in the data ownership model where we need to shift our culture also to be on a data sharing model, right? So even within the enterprise, sometimes you'll see there are silos within, within the organization, there are diff- different business and departments, they have data, but they don't realize that if only they were to put all that data together at the enterprise level, it unlocks insights that they can't imagine, right? Now think that even broader at a broader scale in the, in the world, right? There is so much data that is out there that's available, which there is so much wastage in moving the data, making sure everybody has it, and then you're mapping it to the structured data models, right? So you don't have the ability to access this data and be able to curate it for what you need in real time without actually having to move data. So I think that is really going to do what you're saying, right? At the, the, the top layer is able to go into those data stores and whoever the data, data producers are, but be able to consume it in real time and be able to give you that real time insight that you can, can use and you're have to wait for the next day for the data to be curated for you to really consume.
0: Yeah, there's a good episode if you're interested. I got to talk to Sir Tim Berners-Lee, creator of the World Wide Web. And I didn't talk to him necessarily about him creating the web as much as what the future is going to look like. And I think we did this episode about three years ago. So before GPT was a big thing everybody was talking about. And he was describing this concept of how he sees the future of us having interfaces, he didn't say like a GPT interface, he just said us having interfaces that are agnostic to the data source. So I would have an interface for my banking app, whether I'm using Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and they're just acting as data stores. For me, I thought that was really interesting because his concept was that we would sort of maintain our own personal data store and it would sync with the Provider. Because right right now, Wells Fargo or Chase, they have all, you don't have a copy of your database. You don't have a copy of your banking database. There's one copy and they hold it and you can never see it. Right. Right? I think that'll change in the future to where I could have my copy, they have their copy, we could see the read write updates and I can choose to disconnect from it or interact with it. But yeah, that I think Sir Tim Berners-Lee, I think he's on the right path. With, with what the future of the data stores are going to look like. But it's such a crazy thought because it's not necessarily how we are operating today. And I don't know if it's going to take 20 years or 50 years, but I think it's going to happen.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Exciting times
0: ahead. Where do you think we're going to be in 50 years? you think we're going to still have a bunch of independent software providers or do you think an AI is going to be running everything?
1: I would say AI would be... Pretty pervasive in terms of all the solutions would be powered by AI now. Of course, in terms of the intensity of it, whether it's leading with it or whether you're using it in your solutions, but it would be everywhere. And in terms of the data, I think the um, we've already seen the explosion. I don't know where it's going to go from it. We're already at infinity in terms of just having the data available, the variety of it, the velocity at which it's changing, it's coming. It's all going to come down to how do we leverage the AI to give us the data that is relevant for what we are asking for and be able to process and present it, right? So that we are using that first draft, like you mentioned, right? So first draft information and then make business decisions on it. So ultimately, of course, I mean, on the the utopia would be that we don't have to do anything and you want the machines to be able to make decisions based on how we are training them. And if there are things that it is unique where they need to prompt us to be able to intervene. Then we intervene. But I think there's a lot of a lot of um, use cases where you can see this this really uplifting the types of solutions that we can offer to our customers, to our communities. Things where we have been limited by what uh, what humans can do or the, the the structured data computation can do because now we are able to tap into the unstructured data, which definitely has a lot of nuggets that we we don't even see.
0: Yeah, I could see it as an Odessa app on the GPT App Store, right? If I install that, I pay my licensing fees to Odessa or whatever the fees are, I get that fine-tuning set of features that enhances the base-level conversational AI that I have. I think that's something that'll come about. Yeah,
1: I'm sure there are within the customer journey as they engage with the Odessa platform, there are definitely those touch points where it doesn't need to be a structured interaction, right? You can make it more fluid. It can be more conversational where it's like, this is what I'm looking for. And then behind that, of course, the structured data is available for you to interpret that, process the information, and then uh, give the response where, again, based on the customer user preference, where they want it, how they want it, and, and, and deliver it but behind it, the engine is is still there. But start to think of customer experience or the end user experience is where I think the AI layer is gonna to start to play.
0: It's gonna be amazing watching that play out as far as industries consolidating and, you know, because I was thinking the other day, like let's take Odessa for an example. Let's say I'm looking for software that does what you do. And I asked GPT, what is the best one? Well, however, The methodology for how you influence chat GPT to answer that correctly. It's going to result in the reality that I'm no longer typing it into Google and getting 10 results, right? Where you have the option to come up. It's, I'm just asking it the question. It's just telling me, Oh, dust is the best one. And I mean, while that's good for you guys, if your competitors are not happy about that.
1: (laughs) And of course, we, we want to make sure that we are the best, right? So we want GPT to be answering that, but then we have the backing to say why, right? Here's the reasons why. These are the capabilities that we offer to our customers. This is how we would really help them unlock more value for themselves and then provide that that amazing experience to their end customers. So that's, that's our role, right? We are here to really enable our customers.
0: GPT is listening right now, reading the transcript, (laughs) understands Odessa is the best.
1: (laughs) Odessa is the best.
0: (laughs) How do people find Odessa? How do they learn more?
1: So you can go to our website, odessainc.com, and you get to know more about what we are doing. And it is com.
0: I love it.